0: Welcome to another episode of the Urban Futures Podcast. This is Anna Jones. In today's podcast, we have the pleasure to speak with Charles Landry. Charles is an international authority on the use of imagination and creativity in urban change. He will talk to us about one of his latest projects, The Civic City in a Nomadic World, aimed to start the conversation about the promise of a different urban civilization. Charles, welcome to the podcast.
1: That's fine. Hello, how are you then all?
0: Let's begin by talking about your personal journey. What got you interested in working with cities and creativity?
1: Well, a long time ago, I met over, you know, my youth and also as I was growing up and a bit older in my 20s and 30s. I met lots of people who I thought were quite interesting and creative, perhaps, if you want to say that. But I felt that so many people were not really fulfilling their potential. And so I was wondering about that. And so I was interested in how people are creative. And for example, I suppose my family was quite creative. My mother painted, she wrote, my father was a philosopher. So there was a lot of ideas floating around. But also I'd lived in various countries. I was born in England, lived in Germany. For nine years studied also in italy so i had a sort of um, view of various places around the world so but also of course saw these individuals but i thought okay individuals are interesting but perhaps also organizations might be creative and i thought oh that's interesting too but then i suddenly hit upon the idea that perhaps we all come together in places called cities Mm -hmm. And that cities are really complicated, if not complex. And so I thought, okay, let's think about the creativity of cities, because that's where individuals, organizations, different cultures and all of that meet. And I wondered whether it is possible to be or become a creative city and if there's anything you could specifically do about it. So I really went from the individual through to the organization and then ended up with the city, which I just thought was a much more challenging thing to be involved in.
0: And you invented the concept of the creative city back in the 80s. You did that to help cities to think differently and to act with imagination. Imagination has a lot to do with the experiential and it is a tool that we all have to our disposal but that that not everybody is aware of or knows how to use it. In your view, what is the role that imagination plays in solving some of the most critical issues that we face today?
1: Well, at the origins of the whole Creative City idea, there were various things going on. At the time, there was, in 88, was probably the first time an event, which was called the Creative City, was taking place. And that was had largely people who were involved in the arts uh, at that time. And one person there called David Yenkin very much wrote also to what a Creative City could be, which was a bit more than the arts. But the arts because I'm thinking about the origins, was really initially obviously is a field where you're allowed to have imagination. Indeed, people say you can only be in the arts if you actually use imagination. Mm. And that was important for cities partly because so many cities were going through dramatic restructuring. And so they were asking themselves, well, what have we got? And so some people said, well, we've got our culture and within the culture obviously one of the main things is the arts obviously there's culture in the broader sense which is normally the way I look at it you know the way we are and who we are etc cetera, etc cetera. but artistic expression is obviously one major field and in the whole process of urban regeneration as 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 it was then and still is called people increasingly thought perhaps the artistic imagination would be very useful And indeed it was um, and is, but it's not only the only form of imagination. And through the times I've been involved in this, you know, which is yeah, nearly 40 years or so, mm. uh, I've always tried to broaden the idea of where imagination comes from. And sometimes, I suppose, and when I reflect back, I think what I've been trying to do is to broaden the intellectual architecture within which we think about the potential of cities, And within that, you then look at your resources. Some of these resources are obviously the interesting things that artistically thinking people can bring to the uh, to the issue of making a place alive and so on. Um, And the reason they as one group can be very important, is obviously that they do look at things slightly differently than, let's say, a scientist or a computer specialist or something like that, Mm. or a traditional urban planner. Um, So I think where the imagination comes from and why it's necessary is because when you're in a transitional phase or transformational phase, you have to ask yourself, does the old way of doing things or the old way of thinking work? And that's why you bring in then that thing about imagination. Mm-hmm. But one thing that was quite important for me is, all uh, oh, about 20 years ago, I realized that actually what's more important in cities themselves is really generating a sort of culture, a spirit of curiosity. Because... It's all very well to talk about imagination and saying, look, could we do this? Can we think of this differently? Could you conceive of this operating in a completely different way? Could you think of managing a homeless problem differently, Mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera? Yeah. Yeah. Then I suddenly realized what you really need is more firstly curiosity. If we're curious, we might be imaginative. If we're imaginative, we might have a creative idea. So that's sort of the trajectory that I went through in thinking through imagination.
0: So what are some examples of cities you have worked with, that are working with imagination and really putting it to work?
1: Well, it's always difficult to talk about a city as a whole. Whenever you look Mm -hmm. at a city, you normally see projects that are interesting in that city. I mean, Umio, just because uh, we saw each other there recently, was imaginative in saying to their design community, "Could you look at all the social services and other services we've got through mm-hmm. the eyes of design thinking, from the eyes of designer, and in the on the basis of that, various procedures were were completely rethought." Now the problem is is, OK, that's a good idea as an example, but is this sort of embedded? And that's where you get a, a bit of a problem. So, for example, Helsinki has, through time, had some interesting ideas. I mean, Helsinki, is I've always said, can always suffer from being a mixture of Prussia and Russia in the sense mm-hmm. that it's very sort of, can be fact a bit overstructured because the sort of solid project management view of the world which is very important perhaps perhaps dominates but it has in the technical and the digital field clearly used great imagination for virium as an organization has done some very interesting things i think amsterdam has through time mm-hmm done interesting things, because it's had to be quite, um, well, it has to be innovative, certainly, in responding to the question of water through centuries and centuries. And that has embedded itself perhaps in the culture of a city like Amsterdam, which has done a lot of trialing and testing. For example, it took its old buildings, many of the old buildings in the industrial transformation they had a very strong city strategy to create breeding grounds. They had a breeding ground strategy, which what is imaginative is, in a sense, having the, the ruling, the regulation. But it's most importantly is that they enabled conditions whereby other people could become imaginative. And so this enabling is a very Im- Im- important thing. Um, so when you think of cities that that, 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 that that are imaginative, you know, sometimes it depends what form of imagination. I mean, clearly you could say some Chinese cities are imaginative doing things. Well, the question is, yeah, are the people really free? Do the people really mm-hmm. feel they're empowered and so on, even though you could be impressed by the speed of development and, and, and so on. So, Uh, It's quite a difficult question to answer, but the key quality we're talking about is a level of open-mindedness. And so when you see cities that are more open-minded, more things are likely to happen.
0: Yes, and also how imagination and creativity relate to each other. What do you think is the relationship there between creativity and imagination?
1: Well, I think the relationship, it it starts, I think, with uh, having that open mindedness, which is really ultimately about um, uh, curiosity. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you're curious, you are more likely to have some imagination. And imagination is the possibility to think forward, to have some idea of what could be. Then with imagination you might have some creative ideas that then crystallize themselves. Mm. So you have, let's say, 10 creative ideas because you had a bit of imagination. Out of those 10 creative ideas, many of them might not be able to pass through the reality checker. So Mm. for me, creative and imaginative ideas are only really relevant, ultimately, if they can be turned a bit into reality um and if that's the case they would become an invention and that invention might be to do with uh, could be anything it could be to do with housing urban um, planning ideas it could be to do with problems dealing with issues with the elderly or or, or or whatever or diversity and then if that's embedded then you would say that's an innovation which then triggers more cr- creative thinking ultimately mm-hmm. I mean, an example from Helsinki that just happened recently, a a year or so ago, was about language learning with people from, you know, migrant backgrounds. Mm. And then someone had the idea that the parents and the children should both be in the class together, learning Finnish. You know, that's a simple idea, but it's actually quite imaginative because nobody had ever thought about it. And that has a consequence. That perhaps children behave slightly better because there are parents there and, and and so on. So you can have small good ideas, but also big ones.
0: Mm-hmm. You could also have bad ideas or too much creativity as it is with the concept of the creative class. In this case, creativity is actually working against the concept of a progressive city. Wouldn't you yeah, say that?
1: I mean, the, the, the issue there is... is, is is our, our definition of what is creative is perhaps a bit too narrow because we whilst i've said the arts and the other more uh, economic expressions you know web design and all of these things music industry etc cetera, etc cetera, and cafe culture are all very important that is not the the only form that is necessary clearly declining areas can benefit from gathering places and so on and it's quite clear too as we see everywhere that people like old refurbished buildings and they like sort of places that have a bit of a sense of age around them and a bit of atmosphere. Which is why so many cafes, for example, have sort of old, not very good furniture in them, but just looks very comfortable and cozy and so on. And what then, of course, then happens, as we know, we don't need to discuss it in detail, is a sort of generation gentrification process, which can Mm -hmm. partly be good because these areas might be really not very interesting. And, you know, because even people who are poor might like to have somewhere to hang out the problem really comes when those people are displaced. So Mm -hmm. when we then talk about imagination is then thinking, okay, there are these processes, part of them we like, but how can you guide incentives and regulations to maintain, let's say a balance of not throwing out old uh, uh, people and older residents, uh, whilst maintaining some of the new activities that you might want. what that reminds us of is that you need to shift the focus of creativity so for example another focus of creativity today of course is how can you persuade people to really take climate change seriously both at the individual level but also how can you imaginatively persuade and convince politicians at a, at a bigger level so the, the question I would always say, and I particularly emphasized it in in a new book I just wrote, which is the last time I'm gonna write about creativity, which is called The Advanced Introduction to the Creative City. I really am saying that you need an ethical framework with which within which your creative thinking, planning, and acting takes place. So what's then yes. important is What are the ethics? What are you you trying to do? What sort of city are you trying to create? Now, clearly today, when the divide between rich and poor is getting Mm. bigger and bigger, climate change, there's more diversity, all of that. These Mm. are the areas where we need to place our our attention. Mm.
0: Let's talk about your latest project, The Civic City in a Nomadic World. This project aims to start the conversation about the promise of a different urban civilization. Why don't you give us the key takeaways?
1: Well, the first sentence of of that, that book says, the world is turning to its darker face. Anxiety is in the air. So the first message is that then when there is that sort of slight worry, that the balance between our social selves and our tribal selves are intention. So people, when they feel comfortable and okay, are more likely to be social. When they feel overwhelmed by developments, for example, perhaps too many outsiders coming into the city or the digital world exploding, so you don't really know who you are, where you are, or algorithmic control then you often go inwards. So the one message is understanding where we are. That's a message at some level. The other message related to that is saying, okay, how do we create the conditions where we can both contribute, particularly outsiders from a city and insiders, together to give the best of themselves because vital places often need new seedlings, seedlings could be people or or new Mm. stimulations, or fresh views or fresh energy. And so with a new urban civilization I'm talking about, when perhaps that's too big a word, is simply one where we feel that mix of people is okay. Now great cities have always had these mixes so it's not in that sense a new urban civilization, it's only in the sense that 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 we're now trying to put in place and self-consciously, mm-hmm. rather than dividing us, trying to mm-hmm. find ways of increasing mutual understanding and finding zones of encounter where we feel okay about each other. And this is a lot of this is about physical planning, gathering spaces, less cars but it's also about activity programs. Mm-hmm. And of course it requires that you know people from different backgrounds all have uh, in the first step uh, work. Um, and I suppose the five big themes I would say is how do you create a place of anchorage where people feel okay, I've got my history, I know who I am, I know where I belong. But also recognizing the distinctiveness of that place. The second big theme, I suppose, of a a message is there is, is how do you generate opportunity for everyone so people can be ambitious and fulfill those ambitions to some extent? But this all requires this willingness to cut across boundaries, then you might create these moments and more than a moment of connections and those connections. If we then begin to communicate, as long as we begin to communicate, we'll have an, op- an opportunity at least to get to know each other. And then fourthly, and this is very much a sort of thing that in many cities is declining, is creating places which sort of nurture and nourish you. Um, and if that happens that you feel there's care Um, again all of these are conditions that make you less suspicious of other people Mm. and finally obviously you need some sort of inspiration that inspiration can be many things it could be a great library for some its religion for others it's going to an art gallery I don't know and for others probably it's perhaps going to a football match
0: Mm. it seems to me that one of the points you're trying to make is also about more integration and having a more interconnected society that is closer together.
1: Yeah, I mean that 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 that's true. But it, and these divides are not only between migrants and insiders to a city. The divides, uh, all sorts of divides exist. You know, between people who are well off, people who are not well off. Mm-hmm. All of all of those things. I'm really saying is, unless we find opportunities to connect we won't even know what that other person thinks we don't we don't even know who they are we don't even meet them so historically city centers were the sort of neutral territories where we all came together perhaps or typically uh, a food market would be one of those things you know where mm-hmm. you see different people buying vegetables because when it comes to having a meal Both people need leeks, potatoes, carrots, or whatever it is, or Mm -hmm. cauliflower. So there's not a distinction there. Um, So, so I, I mean, the point is, I am clearly against too much ghettoization. I'm more interested in what we share rather than what divides us. And at a very fundamental level, and this is a bit of a cliche, of course, we probably, if we're relaxed enough, realize we share more. You know, we we in broad terms want to feel OK about ourselves. We want to we mm. want to feel safe. We want all, all of these things. But quite often the physical environment fragments you and segments you because, you know, uh, our cities were built very much for the car so you've got lots of isolation in in some sort of sense and so 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 of course for me a city only works when there's not too much tension between basic groups so one has to reinforce the idea of trying to bring people together rather than separate them out
0: mm, which is which is really a challenge but it's also something to do with the uh, social progress index and what many cities like Bilbao are trying to do uh, as we saw during our meeting in in Umea, Sweden
1: well yes I mean the social progress index is an example of a response by cities to say the success or failure of a place is not only to do with economic indicators so many people are now saying. I mean, the the we make the city festival in Amsterdam has a five year program where they're focusing on the idea of growth and what they mean by growth is growth in every sense. You know, human growth, personal growth, etc., uh, etc. Cetera, et cetera. So all of these classic GDP, gross domestic product indicators and so on are being challenged because people realise whether you use trendy words like feeling happy or not, realize that the, that um, those measurements of success are, uh, are, are not really adequate. I mean, mm-hmm. as you can imagine, if you have a place that's very unsafe and therefore you need lots of burglar alarms and security in every big house, mm-hmm. that actually increases your GDP. So it seems that you're more successful, but you're not necessarily more successful. You've just got more burglar alarms and more security guards.
0: Mm, Yes. Charles, let's come back to the concept of nomadism for a second. Bruce Chatwin wrote in an essay that he called The Nomadic Alternative that a nomad does not wander aimlessly from place to place, that indeed they have a pastoral tribe uh, that follows a very conservative pattern of migration, changing them only in times of drought or disaster, which indicates that nomads have actually a purpose. Now, if we move into our modern social construct, what does the word nomad means in this context?
1: Well, just to go to the past, I mean, nomads moved around obviously for, 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 for reasons of survival. Um, uh, gathering food and so on now in a sense what does survival mean today in the context of people being nomadic and that is clearly to do with the fact that the world has globalized so there is on the one hand an opportunity to work elsewhere but it's also for some of those people who then are traveling around moving around it's it's their only means of survival because that's the only way they can get work and that moving around is happening at every socio-demographic level of people you know from the plumber to the high level i don't know expert in some specific discipline and so at its core you could say it is about trying to survive on the other hand there is a certain sort of addictive quality with many people who just feel they like to be on the move. And therefore, the big question for a place, a city, is when you've got this combination of people, you've got people who've lived in a place for a long time. You've got people who've come in and are working in a, in a city for various reasons. Munich, 45 percent mm. of people were born elsewhere. And then you've got another layer of people who are sort of looking perhaps for experience. They, you, you could say they're moving around aimlessly. Perhaps they're not. But uh, now all of those types are all bumping into each other in a city. And for me, the question is this interesting. It's not a contradiction necessarily between where do I belong mm-hmm. when everything is on the move. I come back to that main, main sentence
0: yes and also what motivates people to move um what is the purpose behind this uh what is the aim yeah well there there are
1: many aims i mean one is pure survival but that survival can also be you know very negative things you know people being displaced by war you know and there are i think 80 million migrants at the moment who are uh, not in their own country so that's one motivator but the other extreme it's just the the thrill of wanting another experience. So all of these people with these different uh, reasons for moving often come together in 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 a similar place. But that's where the problem, stroke, conflicts can occur because. You know, some of those who've had to move as migrants might be, you know, there might be a lot of prejudice about them. They can't speak the language. Others are very globally oriented people, are or only speaking to other people who, perhaps, speak English or so. So mm-hmm. all of these people are in the same place, which can create obviously conflict because they've got different purposes and reasons. And I suppose mm-hmm. what I, after which is why I called it the civic city in a nomadic world, how you create these bonds of togetherness or Mm -hmm. how do you create a context where people feel they are part of the same place Mm. and that they commit to some extent to that place. I mean, the problem about a classic nomad in a city or some nomads is they're just using the facilities of the city and not giving anything back. Mm. and that question of just consuming what the city gives you mm. uh, like some sort of hipstery people sort of say hey what's cool at the moment let's just go there and let's uh, I don't know absorb helsinki or, or oslo or whatever mm. and then just move on
0: mm.
1: so i'm interested in that question of some sort of engagement commitment with the place
0: in in the place we are today where we have plenty of some some would say food um then if, if it's not food what's motivating people to move from place to place um what are those motivational um, well elements that people well, are i mean people are eating. mostly
1: i mean the, you, you know amongst the many people are moving who are moving are obviously tourists moving and all of that so i suppose when we talk about nomadic we 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 mean people are trying to stay in a place a bit longer um so the, the the tourist might just simply want the experience of being somewhere else or basically trying to find themselves by being somewhere else you know often the traveler finds themselves or knows about their own place by being distant from it from it so that's one of the the, the, the many motivations but where the things are different today is is that so much of work can, of course, be done online and digitally into the whole classes of people who can work work anywhere. And that freedom to work anywhere is obviously an opportunity. So that's a different motivation to be free, to be wherever you want and still work. Mm. But there's still a hell of a lot of people, millions and millions and millions, who sort of because of their firm or because they've migrated or something that find that the, the, the place they're moving to is the, is, is the place that, that gives them some sort of sense of survival or, or enough money to survive. The other point, though, is in some countries, and America is an example, the USA, that people move from city to city much more regularly than they would, let's say, in european countries um people might move for work but but there are perhaps more people who are sticking uh to 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 where they come from but all of this is happening simultaneously and that's the issue that there are the mam nomadic and the non-nomadic and all of that at the same time
0: yeah and i think it's related also to population um and i want to say that you you were born in 1948 at a time where urban population was roughly 30% of what it is today. Um, does population matter?
1: Well, I mean, the, 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 the fact, this is a big white elephant in the room. Mm. I mean, if you think when I was born, I think there were 2.5 billion and now there's 7.8. The issue there is that, um, that uh, we talk about things like sustainability and all of that, but we're not willing to acknowledge that the population growth is part of the problem that's causing the lack of sustainability by eating up landscapes, by killing effectively because of land being used for agriculture, which is very industrialized. It's killed, I think, 60% of wildlife in the last 50 years. So there's a whole set of links related to population growth. But how that plays itself out is, of course, quite complicated because on the one hand you've got cities that are growing cities that are declining even though the population in general is growing so if you've got growing cities then you you, you know how do you make them livable if they're becoming in potentially increasingly uh, uh, dysfunctional and at some point certain cities you feel are far too big Mm. and you you can't handle it so this issue of population is something that um, uh, simply needs addressing. It's not about just getting rid of people when we talk about population crisis. It's about education, as people well know, that particularly women's education. Um, and there are cultural issues. You know, I mean, in various, let's say, African countries, you have lots of children because your children are supposed to provide for you when you get old. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's a sort of cultural pattern. Um, But again, when women's education is put on the center stage, you begin to get a more balanced population growth.
0: Mm -hmm. And it could be that those cities who are the most uh, dense are the ones where... People are moving the most, so maybe maybe there is a relationship there between nomadism and uh, urban growth. Um,
1: there could be. There could be. I mean, that that that. I mean, again, it depends what we mean by nomadism. When we look at the very historic nomadism, nomadism that might have been seasonal, um, that 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 is perhaps not completely the same today but there is a strong aspect of that I mean there are various groupings often sort of younger people who are very digitally um, au fait who are moving around in this way from one place to the next you know in a sort of seasonal way Um, but I suppose I'm also using the word nomadic to say for example that I'm moving from the physical real world also to the virtual world so there's an element of movement there and that if you include Mm -hmm. that in a sort of nomadic mindset you can see that people are moving in and out of it i mean i do work here often and i'm looking at other cities and i'm partly experiencing other cities although i'm not physically Mm. there as i'm perhaps trying to think about a particular problem so that's another layer on top which is the blending of the virtual and the real where underneath it there's also that movement Mm. that in turn by the way creates confusion potentially when all of these things are happening simultaneously.
0: And that leads to uh, also the aspect of technology and how technology is shaping this idea, uh, motivating also this idea.
1: Well, I mean, technology now has been the driver, to some extent, of the increased level of nomadism, not only in that grouping that's moving around and digitally doing stuff for companies as freelancers or whatever, But it's also, obviously, enabled and renewed a much higher level of globalisation, which in turn requires people to move from A to B. Um, You know, many people in the Middle East, the professional groupings there come from somewhere else, and they're on Mm. contracts that may be a year, six months, two years and so on.
0: Charles, let's talk about another publication of yours. Psychology and the City, the Hidden Dimension. This is something you wrote in conjunction with Chris Murray. And in there, you made an important point about the relationship between complexity and the human mind and how those relate directly to our environment and our cities. What do you have to say about that?
1: Well, this was a collaborative piece of work with Chris Murray, as you mentioned. and. What was interesting about our conversations? We we brought different um, perspectives into this, and what he particularly reminded me of was that that our mind is perhaps shaped very much from where we've historically come from over millennia, centuries and centuries. And that mind, which might have developed, which we're calling the archaic mind, is one that was not necessarily particularly urban. It wasn't necessarily a mind that that, that handled, you know, 5,000 Facebook friends or, or the continual flow of people in, in, in a place. So there's one thing that we were highlighting is, that there are some responses and, and ways of thinking being that come from that past and that being an urban person is actually quite a relatively new thing, having to connect with lots of people in all sorts of ways and so on. Another big message of that uh, publication is, is that clearly we affect the city who we are by just being there and how we behave. But also the city affects us so if you have and we can argue about beauty and ugliness but a place Mm. that is ugly that is badly not very interesting architecture that can make us close in on ourselves can make us feel depressed and so on Um, so we feel that point about we affect the city and the city affects us is not really taken into account that insights of psychology in the way placemaking is undertaken which we believe is a big gap of course there's Mm. pieces of work about environmental psychology you know what do i feel like when i'm next to a very tall building but none of it seems to be really properly inserted into the daily life of city making the third thing we're then saying is that there is knowledge in the various psychological fields that that, that, that exists in psychology is about understanding how human beings are and how they think and what their emotions are it's very odd that we would think that a physical thing like a city that's made up of all these individuals in there that it's some sort of empty shell without any emotion mm. the way people think so often about cities as if that's precisely lacking and there isn't a sort of sensory dimension because the first feelings we have about anything, about any place is through our perception and our senses. And Mm. that has an effect on how we feel as indeed does the weather or so, you know, an hour ago, it was raining heavily here. uh, And now there is clouds and a bit of sunshine. Of course, That gives you a different feeling one from the other
0: and and it's probably not lack of knowledge Uh, we could also use common sense and say okay we we really need to create initiatives and 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 design cities in a way that people could live in them
1: well I I think on the one hand I mean most things I say in things I'm doing I believe are broadly common sense Um, you, you, you know I believe for example that all um, people are instinctive urban designers in one way or another, and there's a there's a sort of Jan uh, girl, I think, mm-hmm. one sort of defined places as either yes or no. I've, I've adopted that or uh, uh, adapted it to some extent. That I an analyze places always along the spectrum between the yes and no. Is it more a yes place rather than the no place? And I think we generally agree, you know, for example, blank walls just going on and on along a street with no trees and all of that and just concrete, you know, tends to make people feel depressed. And then they wouldn't probably walk. And if they will walk, you know, someone's likely to say, oh, Christ almighty, this is ugly. Let's just spray this with some graffiti, etc." Yeah. So all of those things are happening all the time. And it's 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 a question of bringing that that in. That the city, living in a city, is an emotional experience. Is essentially what we're saying. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're trying to get the psychi- psychiatric and psychological disciplines to understand that they should be taking this seriously too, and that they have a contribution to make in principle. And on the other hand, that cities should see that there is some knowledge there that may be useful to them. Why don't you, in short, what we're saying is, uh, you know, connect with each other. The other dimension that's quite important to us is that we believe that you can probably test the psyche of a city. We don't think Mm. there's one identity to a city. And we have our test that we do, um, psyche.org, people can look it up, and there we're not saying you get the truth but you because people are experts about themselves and how they feel in the place they live in at least you begin to have a different form of conversation about how you want your city to evolve
0: Mm -hmm. and there is consensus about those things that bind us i mean so far i haven't met one person that doesn't want a greener city or more green space and places where children can play or bring the dogs or uh, in general more nature um, that's pretty much across the board
1: yeah well I mean so that binding with nature is one of as, as we know uh, um, is, is incredibly uh, significant and we know the effects of it in terms of being in a hospital and get it feeling better mm-hmm. if there's a mm-hmm. view to nature and so on I mean urban environments in general are harsh They're harsh because, in a sense, concrete and asphalt doesn't feel like it's breathing. It feels dead. And most of the surfaces around us feel dead. And so you as a living entity confronting sort of dead textures and materials, that often doesn't work well, which is why precisely when you have flowers or other things around you you feel sort of it's life with life in some way Mm
0: -hmm. when it comes to cities uh there's really a lot we need to keep track of what would you say are those emerging trends that you have observed uh along the way that cities are really uh being noticeable for
1: well i mean one of the trends is obviously there's a whole thing around technology and the big trend is whether we let technology control us or we control the technology. You know, there's obviously great potential through what people are calling smart solutions, smart cities, et cetera, et cetera, where you can have interactive feedback uh, uh, about issues and so on. But the dilemma is, and this is a trend and a dilemma, is who's in control i mean there's more algorithmic control we don't know who does the algorithm and all of that and my worry is because people are increasingly feeling out of control or things are controlling them i'm worried that this darker face i'm talking about in the book the nomadic world uh, is going to create some tension and i believe unfortunately it's going to take at least 10 years to play itself out that people realize that some of these negative politics that we see around us are not really going to help us move forward um i mean just the coronavirus in china now which is spreading of course you know obviously requires us to collaborate mm-hmm. there are so many things in the world that, that require that so one thing is i think the delights and dilemmas of digitization um and people in a sense wanting control is one big issue i think the other big issue is people desire to connect better with nature i think that is 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 a big trend um, i think the other trend that will play itself out is this transformation of the city from driven by the car to other forms of uh, of, of mobility and that could potentially be very useful but within that i think that perhaps cities will focus not only on their city centers they'll try to make suburban areas hubs of various sorts because we know what the principles are that make good gathering places Mm. good community places i think people will try to invest if we took a, a region like the the broader Helsinki region, as mm. an example, of the broader Amsterdam region, to make sure there are more hubs. I mean, basically, unfortunately, when I'm looking at the future, it's quite difficult to see the very positive things because at the moment so much is reacting against things that are happening too quickly. One of the w- uh, big issues, of course, is over-tourism. Um, So any place that is in any way interesting uh, becomes overloaded because we've got so much mobility. You know, if it's one day, it's, you know, London, Paris, Rome, Berlin, and then, okay, Amsterdam, Lisbon. Oh, then it better be Athens. And on and on it goes, you know, Mm. and the places become completely dysfunctional. So I think there's going to be a lot of things that are against the market, which seem to be against interests in cities, because it's people trying to say, this is my city. And I Mm. think they'll be just like people say it's my data. I think there's going to be more and more reaction, which is why I'm so concerned about the civic and the nomadic finding some alignment about people wanting to create borders even within their cities.
0: This concludes our episode, The Civic City in a Nomadic World. Thank you for listening. See you next time.